So I'm one of those people that often gets described as being a little bit too much. So I'm a little bit, sometimes a little bit too in your face or a bit intense or like quite energetic or a bit over the top. I'm kind of quite positive like all the time, which is both a good thing for me because my life is just great all the time. But like a bad thing if you like live in the real world and you get down a bit and that sort of thing. So my brother is definitely someone that lives in the real world, whereas I'm over here in my happy place where everything is great all the time. So I think when I talk to my brother about things like holidays, he's just going to talk about the great stuff that's happened on his holiday. He's going to really big it up to me. He's going to go mad for it. Uh, he, went, he went to France on holiday a few weeks ago, and I asked him, David, how was your holiday? Was it good? Was it great? He says, um, yeah, it was good, but like on the way there, we got um, delayed on the flight by like 45 minutes, so that, that's not great, really. That sucks. So I was like, oh, what, what stuff did you do on your holiday? Did you like have fun? Did you have fun? He's like... Yeah, it was, I mean, it was good, but like, the delay is just like, I just really hate stuff like that. It just really annoys me. It just really annoys me. Uh, he studied film at uni. He did an uh, internship with the British Film Institute in South Bank in London last year, which is like the dream for film students. Again, you can see where this is going. I asked him, how was your internship? How did it go? Like, was it good? Was it great? He's like, well, like, I had to get the tube, and it's like really busy and full of people, and like, um, just like, didn't know where to go, and blah, blah, blah. If you think I talk quick, he just like mumbles. So we're kind of almost like opposite personalities, which is quite fun. Um, and then again, he like had to go on holiday earlier this year to Cornwall with my parents. I was like, great, Cornwall. Like, sorry you're going just with mum and dad. That's pretty full on for you. They're not that fun. But like, was it good? <laughs> He's like, yeah, it was, it was all right. It's just like, just like watch Netflix and like, um, traffic was bad on the way there. But um, it was good. It was good. And it's just, this is kind of like the theme to our like, relationship. And like, I thank God that we actually do get on most of the time. But uh, when it comes to like, positivity, we definitely sort of miss the mark a little bit. And I, I sometimes think of my brother that he has a bit of like, a, a bad news filter. That like, good stuff could have happened. He could have had a great holiday. But like, he just remembers that, like, that travel, which took a long time. And there was that delay and all that sort of stuff. And I've learned to appreciate airport lounges more as I've got older and just got used to getting stuck in them for a long time. But he definitely does not appreciate getting stuck in airport lounges. Definitely doesn't appreciate being stuck in a car for a long time. He's probably got a bit of a bad news filter to how he interprets the world at times. But we live with it. We go with it. And I kind of feel that this is actually a bit of a more common problem than just me and my brother. That people actually have this sort of like bad news filter to how, how we see life. We'll have like really good stuff happen to us, but there'll be something that we have to complain about. Some kind of negativity. We might discover fire, but then we've burnt dinner. There's just something we've got to let people know about that's a bit of a bad news thing. I often see it when people tell me how busy they are. And I spend my life talking to students most of the time. I work for G2, a student worker. And people will tell me how busy they are, how many assignments they've got on, how they're really stressed out by deadlines and exams. And then I'll talk to people that have just started a job, and they'll be like, I have to work 40 hours a week, and that's really hard work, and have to commute. And then I'll talk to people that have got kids, and they've just remodeled their kitchens, and that's hard work. And then I'll talk to people that have got grandkids, and that's really hard work, because they're tiring, and they tire you out, and everyone's just really busy, and their lives are really bad. But I don't think it's supposed to be this way all the time. I don't think we're supposed to have a bad news filter to everything that we do in our lives. And that's what we're coming at today. We want to talk about what does it mean to be a people of good news. I got married two months ago, so I have no excuse for ever talking about bad news. Because people say, how's married life? I'm never going to say it. It actually sucks. It's really boring. It's always good. It's always fun so far. It's been good all right, isn't it? So far. Just got to name that. But it's impossible to be negative about, you know, going on holiday, having all the celebrations, people making a song and dance about you. That's fun, isn't it? That's good news for me. And that's been really easy to talk good news. So I'm, I'm kind of on a, I think I'm in a good place to give this talk, having been speaking about good news for the last two months of my life. 
And today, like I said, we're looking at what it means as a church to understand uh, being a people of good news. And we're looking at Ephesians 3, uh, verses 1 to 13. And I'll read it out in a bit. Um, but the main thing about this, this passage, which is good for us to look at, is it's written by uh, the Apostle Paul. And it's a, ch- it's a letter written to the people of Ephesus uh, in what is now modern-day Turkey. And uh, he's talking to them about uh, the now-revealed mystery of God, uh, this mystery that he refers to, which is this reality that all people, so all of us as well, have access to the forgiveness of God and are saved by the grace of God uh, through their faith in him, not through their striving, their hard work or effort. And before Paul kind of did this writing, before Jesus lived and, and, and died and was, and was risen again, uh, people believed that it was just the Jews that were going to have salvation. But Paul's letter to the Ephesians is talking to the Gentiles, that's people that aren't Jews, saying that salvation is for everyone, freedom is for everyone, this gospel, this good news that we're talking about is for everyone. And uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is commonly referred to as good news. So today, if I say gospel, if I say good news in your head, think that's the same thing today. The good news, Paul defines it in our passage today as being the boundless riches of Christ. And this word boundless that Paul uses in our passage is also translated in the original text uh, as being inexhaustible, unsearchable. Other translations say it's unfading, it's unquestionable, it's without fault. So the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is something which is boundless, it's unfading, unquestionable, without fault, inexhaustible, unsearchable. The riches of Christ. Uh, Last week, if you were here, we heard uh, Holly speaking about every spiritual blessing uh, that comes from Christ in Ephesians 1. And this is kind of what constitutes the gospel, the spiritual blessings that we went into last week. And those things there, this inexhaustible, unsearchable nature, this kind of boundless thing, this unlimited thing of goodness that is found in Jesus. There's a quote from uh, John Piper, who's a famous American uh, kind of Christian author and uh, speaker. And he says that what makes the gospel good news is that it connects a person with the boundless riches of Christ. Forgiveness of sins and justification are good news because they remove obstacles uh, to the only lasting, all-satisfying source of joy, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not merely the means of our rescue from damnation. He's the goal of our salvation. If he is not satisfying to be with, there is no salvation. He is not merely the rope that pulls us from the threatening waves. He is the solid beach under our feet and the air in our lungs, and the beat of our heart, and the warm sun on our skin, and the song in our ears, and the arms of our beloved. The first time I read that, I thought, that is great. That is a bit mushy, John, but that's cool. That doesn't quite speak to my heart, but some of you that really have really spoken to your heart. It's a good little passage, but what I thought was interesting about this is that, um, and this is particularly if you're here today and you've been invited by someone, like if you've been brought here today, um, if we're here, if we come to this church, if we come to G2, it's because we're here to discover and follow Jesus. And because we believe this stuff, so we like to believe that Jesus is the solid beach under our feet, the air in our lungs, the beat of our heart, uh, the warm sun in our skin, the song in our ears. It's, it's good news to be a Christian. It's good news to know Jesus. Um, and the reason that you're, you're here is that the person who brought you genuinely believes that stuff. They genuinely believe that it's changed their life, that Jesus has had an impact upon them, that they now know a Savior, they know a Savior personally that transforms their life for the better. And if you've come and someone's brought you along today, if you've been invited, I encourage you to chat to that person, to say to them, like, what's your story? Like, how has God changed your life? Like, what has he done for you? Because that's how we see the good, good news lived out in our lives. When we see people whose, whose lives have been changed, uh, it really speaks to us of how good God is and what he's done. So Ephesians 3 is where we are today. And uh, we mentioned a bit about Ephesus, and we're going to talk about Ephesus, this kind of city, throughout the next uh, three weeks left of this series. Uh, Ephesus as I said, was, is, is in what is now modern-day Turkey. And Ephesus is this thriving port and this like, hub of trade. Really multicultural, loads of different religions, languages, cultures uh, that all existed there. Proper melting pot, if you like. 
And this letter, Ephesians, was written to the region of Ephesus, not just the city. Uh, So Paul lived and preached in the city for two years in Ephesus. And then a few years later, he wrote this letter to Ephesus. And it's kind of like a general instruction on Christian living, on how to do church. Some of Paul's letters are a bit more specific in how they look at kind of um, specific issues that face church or specific problems that they had. But this is kind of like an overall general instruction on Christian living, which is pretty applicable for us as G2 today in thinking about how we can be people of good news. So the passage will be behind me, but I'm going to read it out, and I'm reading from the, the NIV. If you want to get your Bibles out and follow, you can, but like I said, it's on the screen. So Ephesians 3, God's marvelous plan for the Gentiles, the non-Jews. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. He literally is in prison, and he also sees his life as being a prisoner for these people. So he sees his calling to them as something which he can't get away from. It's almost like a life sentence that he signed up to, to be someone that preaches the gospel, that preaches good news to these Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. And when he says by revelation, Jesus blinded him on the road where he was going to Damascus while he was in the middle of persecuting Christians and revealed himself to him in that moment, and through dreams and trances and visions. So like, when he sees Revelation there, just read that as like Revelation squared, because there's a whole lot of Revelation that Paul gets. He has some crazy moments. He's a cool guy. As I've already written briefly, in reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the good news, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless, unfading, inexhaustible, unsearchable, without fault riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory." This is a cracking passage. I've really, really enjoyed reading this and studying this uh, in preparation for this talk today. And uh, what I found really fascinating in, the, in this talk is like the context to which Paul is writing, the city of trade, the city of hustle and bustle, with loads of different beliefs, loads of different things that are going on in this city. And uh, one of the things that really stood out to me is um, in the city of Ephesus, uh, when Paul first preached there, in, um, which is recorded in the book of Acts in the Bible, uh, we read of people who were practicing magic and practicing dark arts and in the occult and all that stuff, uh, hearing the gospel and then going and burning all their books, burning all the equipment they used to use to like summon the spirits and whatever. Um, so this, this gospel, this good news, uh, didn't just change individuals, but it changed the whole city. It changed the practice of how they engage with the deities and the div- divinity. Um, the city of Ephesus was famed having loads of temples. You can read it. They had temples to Apollo and Jupiter and Artemis and all these kind of Roman Greek gods. Um, the Ephesus today is, is ruins on the coast of Turkey. My parents went on a cruise for their 25th wedding anniversary a few years ago, and they went around the ruins of Ephesus, because that's what good Christian parents do. They gave us the Ephesus ruins. They said it was fascinating, though. But sadly, they couldn't really see much of what was going on, uh, as, as we read it about here. 
So this mystery, this mystery is that Jesus died and rose again, and God's plan through that is to reconcile all of humanity and restore all of humanity to him. Not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to all of these people in Ephesus, and to us today, to the people around us, to the friends and family that we have, and to people that we don't know that, that God loves. So Paul, writing this letter, he writes that he is less than the least of, um, less than the least of all the Lord's people. Uh, Paul literally was someone that persecuted and opposed Christians. He's kind of like the, the equivalent of ISIS are today. So he was literally going around killing people. He was literally executing Christians. That was his job before he met Jesus, before Jesus revealed himself to him. So he's gone from being this guy of like intense kind of hatred and anger and then has this story of complete transformation. He literally, in his life, models out what the gospel looks like, models out what it looks like to be transformed in your heart, to be transformed in your actions, and to have your life captured as a prisoner now for Jesus, as a prisoner now to proclaim the good news to the people that he was once persecuting, to the people that he was once trying to kill. Totally transformed by this gospel, by this good news. And like I said, he now has devoted his life to these boundless riches, to preaching about how good this gospel is to seeing people coming into fullness, seeing people coming into freedom, coming into uh, wholeness in Jesus Christ. And he speaks of how through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to all these heavenly uh, rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And uh, what I find really interesting about this is that this sounds a bit weird on paper, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, but it's kind of like three meanings to this. So the first one is, uh, this actually means to the angels, so basically, through the church, through how we do our job, through how we do community with one another, through how we show love to one another, love outside, we're basically helping the angels glorify God. So this angel's role, if you read it in um, the Psalms, in the Bible, Psalm 148, their job is to glorify God and to help us praise God. So when we're cracking on doing our stuff down here, doing a good job, the angels more fully understand how to glorify God. So that's pretty fun that they're like taking notes on us and watching how we do things, listening to our band today, thinking that's, that's how they do it. That's how I can more fully understand how to glorify God. Found that awesome. Found that really good. And the second part of this this pass, this bit in the rulers and authorities uh, is is that the church bears witness uh, to God's eternal purpose of restoration of this gospel news flourishing, and it's a bears witness to, to Satan, to the evil powers that work in this world. And it kind of says that, that that God's not finished yet. That this church is flourishing. This church is thriving. This church is standing for something. It's like a battle cry, a declaration uh, that the church is the church is winning because Jesus Christ has already won the battle. So what we do as a church is really important. It's like really important in this eternal perspective of kind of this battle between good and evil. And then thirdly, as I mentioned, uh, this would have been helpful for the uh, authors, so sorry, for the audience in Ephesus uh, who were into all this like new age and mystical stuff uh, that, that Jesus basically claims to be the highest form of deity, claims to be the only deity. So for them to understand this, that Jesus' uh, Jesus' plan for the church is to, is to make himself known to make the gospel known to all these heavenly authorities they're kind of like okay this guy's a real deal he's claiming to be better than bigger than anything else we've known before we probably might need to pay attention to this hence why people going to have burnt their books they turned away from their occult practices and they encountered jesus more and more and ephesus was a fascinating city uh, when it was one that was transformed by the good news because like i said it changed individuals lives but it also changed the kind of practice of the city but also because Ephesus was this big hub, this trading port, this place people would have come from all around the Mediterranean and beyond to, to trade goods, to meet people, that sort of thing. The more people that heard the gospel in Ephesus had their lives changed, then going over to other places in Asia, telling people they were trading with, telling their friends, telling their family all about the gospel, all about this good news. So it kind of spreads like wildfire out from this city. 
And that's what the gospel does. That's what it does today. The good news of Jesus changes people's lives, changes the world around them as a result. It stops people in their tracks. It challenges them in their view of the world. It challenges them in how they understand the world. Uh, Many of you will have seen your friends maybe come to know Jesus. Maybe people in your family come to know Jesus. They look different. People have a different perspective on the world. They have a different kind of approach to life um, when they've encountered Jesus. For me, I found it um, really, really interesting to see uh, students coming to know Jesus, and I'll tell some more stories in a bit, but the students that I've seen come into this church who are like disinterested, maybe like hands in pockets, don't want to be here, been dragged along by a mate, and then six months later they're at the front doing this, they're worshipping God, they're loving it, they're going for it. That, that isn't possible just through like me preaching really well, or the band performing really well, or us doing really good news games. That is the power of Jesus at work in their lives, changing their hearts, changing their worldviews, changing their minds. And this is what we're invited to, to proclaim as a church. This is the one mission that we're called to, to proclaim this good news and to see the permanent, indelible impact it has upon the world around us. I came across a church planter from Winnipeg, Canada, a few months ago online, called Jamie Arpin Ricci, which is a great name. And he wrote a book on what it would look like if people lived a life imitating the uh, old saint, uh, St. Patrick, and he didn't mean imitating St. Patrick to drink loads of Guinness. Uh, he meant to live a radical life of hospitality, of inviting the homeless into your life. You can read up in St. Patrick's. He was a pretty, pretty cool dude. And uh, Jamie Arpin Ritchie, with his great name, ponders what the effect of this Christian life beyond the ordinary would be upon our world. And there's a quote from him which I want to read, which is this behind us. We are called to be Christ-embodying communities of active love in the midst of the world. All of creation is caught up in the restorative work. The mission of God's people is not simply directed at saving people's souls from a bad life after death into a good life after death, but it addresses and hopefully touches the injustice, the injustice and violence around us. Poverty, racism, sexism, economic exploitation, war, environmental destruction, and so on, where salvation, justice, and peace can merge. So this mission that, we, that we're on as a church, this mission to share these good news, be good news people, isn't just to give people this ticket to heaven that they can then crack on and be like, sorted, I know where I'm going when I die. I'm not going to those fires down there. I'm going to those clouds with the angels and the fluffy bits that we picture. It's to literally transform the world around us, to address issues of injustice and exploitation that burn on our heart, that really get us angry about it. Um, a few years ago, a bunch of students from this church set up uh, York Anti-Trafficking Society, which some of you will have seen on... Um, if you've, if you've kind of followed the story of G2 a few years ago. And that kind of come from people whose like, lives are like driven by the gospel, driven by a gospel desire to change the world, to address injustice, to fight against the evil they see around them. And that led to them doing this kind of student campaign group uh, in, in York, which is amazing. And we've seen students whose lives have been transformed by Jesus um, in really radical, dramatic ways. And it's, that's my privilege as a student worker uh, to kind of see that, to sort of see that going on and witness that. And um, I just want to tell you a few stories about some students who've had their lives dramatically changed by the good news of Jesus. Um, I remember hearing about a student last summer who was uh, in London studying for the summer, uh, doing a job for the summer, sorry, and he encountered Jesus on an overground train. He just, he, you can talk to him at some point, I'll name him at some point if you want to come talk to me, Misha will know who he is. But um, he, he, he visibly and audibly encountered Jesus on a train. Didn't know how to quantify it, didn't know how to explain it, couldn't really understand it, fully grasp it for himself. But Jesus literally stepped into his life, arrested him where he was, and his life is now different. His worldview is now different. His personality, I would say, is now different because of how he's encountered Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for him. Uh, In this last term alone, uh, we knew multiple students who just gave their lives to Jesus over conversation, over reading the Bible in coffee shops. 
they decided that that was the time they wanted to get to know Jesus. That was the time they wanted to say that their life was worth pursuing Jesus. Their life was worth becoming a prisoner to Christ for. Uh, this is incredible stuff, and it's not something that, that our church is doing for our own effort or striving, but it's about us partnering through what God is doing, partnering with him at work already in people's lives, giving people the opportunity to respond to Jesus. I remember hearing the story last uh, Freshers' Week, if you remember, we did 24-7 prayer, if you were around, did a week of 24-7 prayer uh, during York Uni Freshers'. And there was a student who um, had been at G2 the Sunday before for the first time with a friend, been invited along. And uh, he, in the middle of the dance floor at like 3 a.m., he just felt this sudden urge to go and pray. There he is with his VK. It's not, re- it's not really him. <laughs> that is an awful picture, isn't it? Um, that is what York clubs look like, I'm afraid. Don't go there. They're bad places. Uh, but this guy, this guy had been to church. He'd heard something about this house of prayer. He'd been interested in this Jesus fella. He'd heard something different about this good news, different about this gospel. And he left this nightclub at 3 a.m. and went to pray, as you do, which is bizarre. I can't really imagine that, explaining that to your mates. Be like, lads, I'm off to get a kebab. I'm off to pray. It just doesn't work, does it? It's really bizarre. But that's extraordinary. That's what Jesus does. He kind of transforms our perspective. He changes our life, changes our direction towards wholeness, towards freedom. The good news of Jesus changes people. It stops them in their tracks. It challenges their view of the world and their understanding of life in a deep and real way. And to be people that carry this good news, to people that hold this message and this mission, we have to be driven and motivated by love. Not through a desire to score points or like get the most converts or the most people invited to church. Our calling to be a good news people and our mission from God to reveal this mystery to our friends, our neighbors, strangers, has to be motivated by the love of God, overflowing within us, that then stirs us to share good news with people. Uh, I love one of Paul's letters, 1 Thessalonians, he writes, may the Lord increase our love until it overflows towards one another and for all people. Notice here that uh, his letter first says uh, that God's love would overflow to one another. So speaking to the church, just saying, first of all, you've actually got to love one another. You've actually got to get on with one another. You've actually got to speak well of one another. You've got to honor with one another. You've not got to go on social media and criticize Adam when he did a bad preach that one Sunday. Please don't do that. But there's something interesting, isn't there, when we honor people, when we show love to one another, when we encourage one another, that that actually shows people the love of God outworked. Because they don't often see communities where everyone's on the same, the same team. You just have to look at the Labour Party at the moment who are tearing each other apart on anti-Semitism and all these different issues. I like politics, sorry. Um, and people don't see these Christ-embodying communities of love. People don't see that in our world. So how we do mission as a church, how we do community together as a church, speaks to people of the love of God. And it's from that place that we go out into our world, from that place that we go out and show love with, one another, of other, with other people. We have to celebrate the stories of what God's up to. We have to shout about the students that are giving their lives to Jesus. I should do better with that with telling you what's going on. I should do better with that with encouraging you that God's on the move in our church. And especially for us as G2, thinking as two services, and soon to be two, two services at two different locations, when the 345 moves over to the Tang Hall in October, we've got to really speak well of one another as services, and we've got to tell one another the stories of what God's doing. We've got to honor what God's doing through both services, not to compare each other or be jealous of who's got the most salvations or who's got the, the best this, the best that, but to big each other up and celebrate what God's doing through us and honor the gospel being preached and the good news of Jesus being shared. This is important for us to get this right as a church. Our mission has to be motivated by love. Um, in my life, I've got like, there's a, there's a few key people that I've been kind of sharing Jesus with and trying to talk to them about, about God for about, some of them about 15 years. Um, when, I'm, when I'm nearly 25, that's quite a long part of my life for me. And what I find really interesting is I've learned more and more that 
Um, it does not matter if I lead them to Jesus or I get them to pray a prayer because it's not about my success or not about my achievement, but my job is just to love them and just to be their mate. And that sometimes means that you'll have uncomfortable conversations about God or you'll be um, talking to them at a wedding and they'll just suddenly start opening up about their view of the world and the hurt that's happened to them. But it just means being a good friend sometimes. Sometimes sharing good news isn't standing on a soapbox on a street corner uh, preaching judgment upon people. It's literally just being someone's friend, literally showing the love of God uh, that overflows from within us. And again, if you've been invited here today, and that's because your friend loves you. That's because the person you bought you cares about you. And they want to share with you how good this news is. There's no pressure to instantly respond to that. There's no judgment that's cast upon you. It's an invitation into their life and to see what God's doing in their life and through them. And that's the case for all of us whenever we've been invited here. People aren't bringing us here to kind of change us. They want us to see this love of God. They want us to encounter it for ourselves in a non-pressured or non-forced or judgmental way. And what we're going to do now is just take a few minutes in silence and reflection. Uh, I just want us to just to pray about the people that God might be putting on your heart today. Maybe it's an individual, maybe it's a group of people, maybe it's a, a place that you go to, a situation you're in, an activity you're in, a workplace, a family, whatever. But maybe if we just close our eyes and just open your hands if you want to as a sign to God that you're ready to hear, that you're ready to open. And I, I just want you to just picture, just ask God to place in your, in your head a person, a situation, a place where you think that you might be being called to be a good news person and to share, and to sh- and to share the good news of Jesus with them. Some of you may have an idea of someone or a place or a situation. God may have spoken to you clearly. You may have a sense. Some of you might not. Um, but we're going to all uh, go into worship together. I'm gonna, I wanna, we're going to pray out together some words on the screen. Um, but first, I just wonder if there's anyone that has kind of a specific person on your mind, you feel God really spoke to you, I just want to invite you to be bold and just to stand where you are. Um, if you think there's a specific situation, personal place, um, and, and the phrase God reminded me of is if, you, if you're not bold enough to stand at the front of church, uh, then you're not going to be bold enough to share the good news with them, are you really? Uh, sorry, not sorry. Um, so stand where you are, if that's you, that would be really good. That, that, that did that conviction work, that was good. And Jesus, these people that have stood, I thank you for their boldness. I thank you for their courage. And we just commission them as good news people, as people that speak your gospel, as people that share your good news, people that do it not through their own strength or ability or intellect or ability to speak well or their eloquence, but they do it through the power of you at work within them, through the grace that you've given them to be good news people in their families, in their friendship groups, in their workplaces, their homes, wherever that may be. Jesus, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Would you give them the ability to speak well? The ability to to honour you, Jesus, and how they share life and share community with other people. Amen. And the rest of us, do you want to stand and join us? And for all of us now, there's going to be a prayer on the screen. And I'm going to lead us and we're just going to pray it out together. And then we're going to worship.